Chapter One of the Dachet Diamonds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dachet Diamonds by Richard Marsh. Chapter One Two Men and a Maid. The band struck up a waltz. It chanced to be the one which they had last danced together at the dome. How well he had danced, and how guilty she had felt, conscious of what almost amounted to a sense of impropriety. Charlie had taken her, it was Charlie who had made her go, but then in some eyes Miss Wentworth might not have been regarded as the most unimpeachable of chaperones. That Cyril, for instance, would have had strong opinions of his own upon that point, Miss Strong was well aware while miss strong listened thinking of the last time she had heard that waltz the man with whom she had danced it stood all at once in front of her she had half expected that it would be so half had feared it it was not the first time they had encountered each other on the pier miss strong had already begun to more than suspect that the chance of encountering her was the magnet which drew mr lawrence through the turnstiles she did not wish to meet him she assured herself that she did not wish to meet him but on the other hand she did not wish to go out of her way so as to seem to run away from him the acquaintance had begun on the top of the devil's dyke in the middle of a shower of rain miss strong feeling in want of occupation and to speak the truth a little in the blues had gone on an unpromising afternoon in april on the spur of the moment and in something like a temper on a solitary excursion to the devil's dyke on the downs the wind blew great guns she could hardly stand against it yet it did her good for it suited her mood she struggled on over the slopes past poinings when suddenly she in her abstraction having paid no heed to the weather and expecting nothing of the kind it came down a perfect deluge of rain she had a walking-stick, but neither mackintosh nor umbrella. There seemed every likelihood of her having to return like a drowned rat to Brighton, when, with the appropriateness of a fairy-tale, someone came rushing to her with an umbrella in his hand. She could hardly refuse the proffered shelter, and the consequence was that the owner of the umbrella escorted her first to the hotel, then to the station, and afterwards to Brighton nor after such services had been rendered when they parted at the station did she think it necessary to inform him that not under any circumstances was he to notice her again besides from what she had seen of him she rather liked the man so when two days afterwards he stopped her on the pier to ask if she had suffered any ill effects from her exposure it took her some five-and-twenty minutes to explain that she had not there were other meetings, mostly on the pier, and then as a climax that Masonic ball at the Dome. She danced with him five times. She felt all the time that she ought not. She knew that she would not have done it if Cyril had been there. Miss Wentworth, introduced by Miss Strong, danced with him twice, and when asked by Miss Strong if she thought that she, Miss Strong, ought to have three dances with him, Miss Wentworth declared that she did not see why, if she liked, she should not have thirty. So Miss Strong had five, which shows that Miss Wentworth's notions of the duties of a chaperone were vague. 
and now the band was striking up that identical waltz and there was mr lawrence standing in front of the lady with whom he had danced it i believe that that was ours miss strong he said i think it was he was holding her hand in his and looking at her with something in his eyes which there and then she told herself would never do they threaded their way through the crowd of people towards the head of the pier saying little which was worse than saying much although charlie had been working miss strong wished she had stayed at home with her it would have been better than this a sense of pending peril made her positively nervous she wanted to get away from her companion and yet for the moment she did not see her way to do it beyond doubt mr lawrence was not a man in whose favour nothing could be said he was of medium height had a good figure and held himself well he was very fair with a slight moustache and a mouth which was firm and resolute his eyes were blue a light bright blue beautiful eyes they were but scarcely of the kind which could correctly be described as sympathetic his complexion was almost like a girl's it was so pink and white he seemed the picture of health his manners were peculiarly gentle he moved noiselessly without any appearance of exertion his voice though soft was of so penetrating a quality and so completely under control that without betraying by any movement of his lips the fact that he was speaking he could make his faintest whisper audible in a way which was quite uncanny whatever his dress might be on him it always seemed unobtrusive indeed the strangest thing about the man was that while he always seemed to be the most retiring of human beings in reality he was one of the most difficult to be rid of as miss strong was finding now more than once just as she was about to give him his dismissal he managed to prevent her doing so in a manner which while she found it impossible to resent it was not by any means to her taste finally finding it difficult to be rid of him in any other way and being for some reason which she would herself have found it difficult to put into words unusually anxious to be freed from his companionship she resolved in desperation to leave the pier she acquainted him with her determination to be off and then immediately afterwards not a little to her surprise and a good deal to her disgust she found herself walking towards the pier gates with him at her side miss strong's wish had been to part from him there and then but again he had managed to prevent the actual expression of her wish and it seemed plain that she was still to be saddled with his society at any rate as far as the gates before they had gone halfway down the pier miss strong had cause to regret that she had not shown a trifle more firmness for she saw advancing towards her a figure which at that instant she almost felt that she knew too well it was cyril paxton the worst of it was that she was not clear in her own mind as to what it would be best for her to do the relations between herself and mr paxton were of so curious a character she saw that Mr. Paxton's recognition of her had not been so rapid as hers had been of him. At first she thought she was going to pass him unperceived. In that case she would go a few steps farther with Mr. Lawrence, dismiss him, return, and discover herself to Cyril at her leisure. But it was not to be. Mr. Paxton, glancing about him from side to side of the pier, observed her on a sudden, 
and he observed Mr. Lawrence, too, on which trivial accident hinges the whole of this strange history. Miss Strong knew that she was seen. She saw that Mr. Paxton was coming to her. Her heart began to beat. In another second or two he was standing in front of her with uplifted hat, wearing a not very promising expression of countenance. "'Where's Charlie?' was his greeting. The lady was aware that the question in itself conveyed a reproach, though she endeavoured to feign innocence. "'Charlie's at home. I couldn't induce her to come out. Her copy for fashion has to be ready by the morning. She says she's behind, so she stayed at home to finish it.' "'Oh!' That was all that Mr. Paxton said, but the look with which he favoured Mr. Lawrence conveyed a very vivid note of interrogation. "'Cyril,' explained Miss Strong, "'this is Mr. Lawrence. "'Mr. Lawrence, this is Mr. Paxton, "'and I am afraid you must excuse me.' "'Mr. Lawrence did excuse her. "'She and Mr. Paxton returned together up the pier. "'He, directly Mr. Lawrence was out of hearing, "'putting to her the question which, though she dreaded, "'she knew was inevitable. "'Who's that?' "'That is Mr. Lawrence.' "'Yes, you told me so much already. Who is Mr. Lawrence?' As she walked, Miss Strong, looking down, tapped with the ferrule of her umbrella on the boards. "'Oh, he's a sort of acquaintance.' "'You have not been long in Brighton, then, without making acquaintance?' "'Cyril, I have been here more than a month. Surely a girl can make an acquaintance in that time.' "'It depends, I fancy, on the girl and on the circumstances in which she is placed. "'What is Mr. Lawrence?' "'I have not the faintest notion. "'I have a sort of general idea that, like yourself, he is something in the city. "'It seems to me that nowadays most men are.' "'Who introduced him?' "'A shower of rain.' "'An excellent guarantor of the man's eligibility, "'though even for the average girl "'one would scarcely have supposed "'that that would have been a sufficient introduction.' "'Miss Strong flushed. "'You have no right to talk to me like that. "'I did not know that you were coming to Brighton, "'or I would have met you at the station. "'I knew that I should meet you on the pier.' "'The lady stood still. "'What do you mean by that?' The gentleman, confronting her, returned her glance for glance. "'I mean what I say. I knew that I should meet you on the pier, and I have.' The lady walked on again. Whatever she might think of Mr. Paxton's inference, his actual statement was undeniable. "'You don't seem in the best of tempers, Cyril. How is Mr. Franklin?' "'He was all right when I saw him last. A good deal better than I was, or than I am.' "'What is the matter with you? Are you ill?' "'Matter!' Mr. Paxton's tone was bitter. "'What is likely to be the matter with the man who, after having had the luck which I have been having lately, to crown it all, finds the woman he loves philandering with a stranger, the acquaintance of a shower of rain, on Brighton Pier?' "'You have no right to speak to me like that, not the slightest. "'I am perfectly free to do as I please, as you are, "'and without condescending to dispute your inferences, "'though, as you very well know, they are quite unjust, "'any attempt at criticism on your part will be resented by me "'in a manner which you may find unpleasant.' "'A pause followed the lady's words, "'which the gentleman did not seem altogether to relish.' "'Still, the fact remains that I do love you better than anything else in the world.' 
surely if that were so cyril at this time of day you and i would not be situated as we are by which you mean if you felt for me what you are always protesting that you feel surely sometimes you would have done as i wished which being interpreted is equivalent to saying that i should have put my money into goshens and entered an office at a salary of a pound a week if you had done so you would at any rate still have your money and also possibly the prospect of a career they had reached the end of the pier and were leaning over the side looking towards the worthing lights miss strong's words were followed by an interval of silence when the gentleman spoke again in his voice there was the suspicion of a tremor daisy don't be hard on me i don't wish to be hard it was you who began by being hard on me he seemed to pay no heed to her speech continuing on a line of his own especially just now she glanced at him why especially just now well he stopped the tremor in his voice became more pronounced because i'm going for the gloves if the light had been clearer he might have seen that her face assumed a sudden tinge of pallor what do you mean by you're going for the gloves i mean that probably by this time to-morrow i shall either have won you or lost you forever cyril there was a catching in her breath i hope you are going to do nothing wild it depends upon the point of view he turned to her with a sudden passion i'm sick of things as they are sick to death i've made up my mind to know either the best or the worst how do you propose to arrive at that state of knowledge i've gone a bull on eries a big bull so big a bull that if they fall one i'm done how done i shall be done because it will be for reasons good strong solid reasons the last deal i shall ever make on the london stock exchange there was silence then she spoke again you will lose you always do lose thanks it will be almost better for you that you should lose i am beginning to believe cyril that you never will do any good till you have touched bottom till you have lost all that you possibly can lose thank you again she drew herself up drawing herself away from the railing against which she had been leaning she gave a gesture which was suggestive of weariness i too am tired this uncertainty is more than i can stand you are so unstable cyril your ideas and mine on some points are wide apart it seems to me that if a girl is worth winning she is worth working for as a profession for a man i don't think that what you call punting on the stock exchange is much better than pitch and toss well the word was an interrogation she had paused it appears to me that the girl who marries a man who does nothing else but punt is preparing for herself a long line of disappointments think how many times you have disappointed me think of the fortunes you were to have made think cyril of the trumpet gold mine what great things were to come of that i am quite aware that i did invest every penny i could beg borrow or steal in the trumpet gold mine and that at present i am the fortunate possessor of a trunkful of shares which are not worth a shilling apiece the reminder is a pleasant one proceed you seem wound up to go 
Her voice assumed a new touch of sharpness. "'The long and the short of it is, Cyril, it is better that we should understand each other, if your present speculation turns out as disastrously as all your others have done, and it leaves you worse off than ever, the relations, such as they are, which exist between us, must cease. We must be as strangers.' which means that you don't care for me the value of a brass-headed pin. It means nothing of the kind, as you are well aware. It simply means that I decline to link my life with a man who appears incapable of keeping his own head above water. Because he insists on drowning himself, why should I allow him to drown me, too? I observe that you take the commercial, up-to-date view of marriage. What view do you take? Are you nearer to being able to marry me than ever you were? Are you not farther off? You have no regular income, and how many entanglements? What do you propose that we should live on, on the hundred and twenty pounds a year which mother left me? There came a considerable silence. He had not moved from the position he had taken up against the railing, and still looked across the waveless sea towards the glimmering lights of Worthing. When he did speak, his tones were cold and clear and measured. Perhaps the coldness was assumed to hide a warmer something underneath. Your methods are a little rough, but perhaps they are none the worse on that account. As you say, so it shall be. Win or lose, to-morrow evening I will meet you again upon the pier. That is, if you will come. You know I'll come. If I lose, it will be to say good-bye. "'Next week I emigrate.' She was still, so he went on. "'Now, if you don't mind, I'll see you to the end of the pier and say good-bye until to-morrow. I'll get something to eat and hurry back to town. Won't you come and see Charlie?' "'Thank you. I don't think I will. Miss Wentworth has not a sufficiently good opinion of me to care if I do or don't. Make her my excuses.' Another pause. Then she said in a tone which was hardly above a whisper, "'Cyril, I do hope you'll win.' He stood and turned and faced her. "'Do you really mean that, Daisy?' "'You know that I do.' "'Then if you really hope that I shall win, the double event, as an earnest of your hopes, there is no one looking, kiss me.' She did as he bade her. End of chapter 1